Well, good morning. Thanks, Kevin. Um, it has been a busy ministry week, and um, as sometimes as I start, I kind of share with you what um, I think about or I'm praying about as we worship together. And um, this morning, I was just really praying and thinking about the team that plans our worship. Um, they are a group of people that um, have a heart after this community worshiping together. They have a heart for thinking about um, using the gifts in our community. They have a love for God's word. Um, and I'm grateful for the team that gathers each and every Monday. And I, I say this because we're also anticipating Mark and Holly and their retirement in December. And so we're thinking ahead about that and we're making plans for that. But I just want you to know, as Todd and Libby led this morning, and we have other voices in our community like Curtis that has been with us and Sarah Lindbergh, our commitment is just in this season to use voices that um, we're used to leading us in deeper levels of worship in this season. And um, I'm just grateful for the ways that God has gifted this congregation and um, specifically, though, has led people to gather each and every Monday to plan and anticipate our worship. So my thanks um, not only to Mark and Holly, but to Paul and Jenny Curry and Diane Wagar and Nancy Mulner. Give her a mic. Um, and the crew that, that gathers together. Um, we're just grateful that our church is gifted in those ways. Um, on Wednesday night, we've said it a couple times, we started this past week, and um, I was standing by the door as our friends from the Naomi House came, and we just had now, we've been partnering with the Naomi House for seven years. I mean, think about that. Seven years, seven um, groups, many transitions and families that we've connected with and built relationships with. We continue to get emails and text messages, those who are on that team of where people are at and where they're living and what they're doing um, as we built these relationships and been a community for them in a difficult season. And I was in part of their gathering time um, in the cafe this Wednesday night, and I shared with them that their church, our church is their church, that they are a part of us. And we want to not only be here for them on Wednesday night, but we want to be a, a community that's cheerleading them and praying for them. And with that, it's like the floodgates just opened of prayer requests, <laughs> things that are going on in their lives. One woman shared that she wasn't going to come Wednesday night because she had gotten some difficult medical news that morning. And she said, I just didn't know if I could get on that bus. And I am amazed at the fact that these women continue to show up because the challenges that they face are so much bigger than anything I face in my life, and yet they continue to show up because they need family and they need community. And so I'm just so encouraged by that. And uh, that is continuing to be just a group of women who serve one another. There are people from our church there, but if you talk with any of them, they are being served just as much as they are serving. Um, and so that just continues to be a gift to me. There's about 40 people up north this weekend at Grand Marais, um, and so I'm sure they're having a great weekend um, connecting together. So our church is active and it's busy, but we want to be intentional with noticing and paying attention to what God's doing in our midst. So we're glad that you're here this morning. Let me just pray for us as we begin. Father God, we meet you in this place. We meet you as a group of people, and we recognize that you are a God who still speaks and has things to say to us. You've given us your word and you desire for us to study it and understand it, but you desire us to walk with you. 
and to journey with you in our lives, in our relationships, in our work, in our school. And so it is all of this that you desire to use for your kingdom and for your glory. And so we pray, Father, would you use this time to make known the things that you would like us to see, that you would like us to do, that you would like us to be in this world for this time and for your good. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever thought about how to get from where you are in your life to where you want to be in your life, where you want to be someday. Have you ever thought about the place that you are in, whatever your situation, whatever your story is, and you think about how to get to that place that you want to be, that place that you're wishing you could be, that you dream about being Maybe you're in school and you're just thinking, man, I just can't wait to graduate. When I graduate, everything will just be great, right? Maybe this morning you want to be in a relationship and you just think, man, if I just met that person, life would be good. Or maybe you're, you're married and you're dreaming of kids someday and you think, man, I'd love to, love to kind of enlarge in our family. I'm so excited for that day. Maybe you have kids and you just want them out of the house, right? Like when they just leave, like Paul, just living a good life, right? <laughs> no. Because the truth is this morning that everyone has a here, a place where they're at, a life that they're living, but they also have a there, a place that they hope to be. And this isn't by accident because God has placed in the human heart a longing to do something, to be significant, to have purpose. God has called everyone this morning from here to there. I mean, think about it for just a minute, because most stories in the Bible are here to their stories. I mean, think about Abraham. Abraham was living in a place called Ur, and God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to go from here to a place where I am going to show you, and it's going to be there. He didn't know what it was going to be. It was just going to be there. God went to a man named Moses, and Moses grew up in Egypt, and he was living in a land called Minyad, and God met him and said to him, I want you to leave here, and I want you to go back to Egypt and lead my people out of slavery. As Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, went to the tomb, they were, not, they were expecting to find a body, but instead they found a risen Jesus, and Jesus said to them, now you've seen me, don't stay here, but go and tell my disciples that I am alive. In other words, Mary and Mary, you have got a job to do. Don't stay here. Go there. Time after time, story after story, here to there, you could imagine that God even came to his own son, Jesus, living with him in heaven and said, Jesus, the world that we love is hurting. I need you to leave here and go there. Life is all about from here to there, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially. And this morning, for just a few moments, I want you to know 
And I want you to understand that God is inviting each and every one of you on this same journey. He is inviting you to a storyline that involves not just staying in the very same place, not being the very same person you are. He invites you into a storyline that requires some risk, that requires some obedience, that requires some discovery. He invites you to a storyline that is not just about you and the life that you're living, but it is intertwined with this idea. Mark Carter talked about it last week when he talked about our kids' ministry. He said, we want our kids to understand the big God story. Friends, as the Covenant Church, one of the markers of us being a healthy church is when its people are pursuing a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about that for just a moment a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. One of the things that defines a healthy church is not the quality of our worship or whether or not your pastor nails the sermon every week, whether or not the nursery is covered and that class you took was just what you needed. But what defines our church is when there is a group of individuals that notice and respond to the invitation to live out a life altering relationship with Jesus that takes us from here to there. And we know that this isn't a simple cookie cutter formula, right? We would see right through that automatically. We know that it takes more than that. So it's not just like if you teach this way or you lead this class or you launch this program. We know it's not that simple. So this morning, This morning, instead of just telling you, here are a few things you need to do, or here are a couple steps that you need to take to pursue this relationship, I just want to take a step back and give you a couple images, I think, that help us define and think about our spiritual lives, our walk with Jesus. And some of these images have just hit home for me. They've changed the way I think about my conversation and my time with Jesus. So here's just a couple images for you, and here's the first image this morning. This is the image I want us to get in our minds this morning. It's the image of a rowboat, and not only the boat, but the rower, right? Who's working as hard as he can to just use those oars, those paddles. I don't know when you call them oars or when you call them paddles. Just full disclosure. If anyone knows that, I'd appreciate that feedback. Um, we're going to go with oars. Using those oars, right? You guys are with me. (laughs) Because if they want to go anywhere, it is up to them, right? It is up to their own effort to make any progress. This image represents how some people who follow Jesus think about their spiritual life. And this morning, we're going to call this the parable of the rower, The parable of the rower. And I think in many ways, whether or not this completely defines you, we can relate with it. This image represents people who might say, if I'm just going to get anywhere, I'm going to have to get there on my own. In spiritual language, they're just like rowing their way to holiness, right? If I'm going to look more and more like Jesus, it is going to happen on my own willpower. So I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to push hard. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to put in the effort and I'm going to get it done. 
I was meeting with someone this past week and I was talking about how I've spent many seasons of my life being a rower. I'm achievement oriented, I'm task driven. And she said, oh, so you like GSD all day. And I was like, what? She said, you just get stuff done like GSD. She used another word for S, but that's, that's okay. And many of us rowers point to verses in the Bible to support our thinking, like Philippians 3.14. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward or in Christ Jesus. Or Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race with perseverance. The race marked out for us. And in and of themselves, these things like running the race or having perseverance and pressing on, these are not bad things. But when they describe this inner posture of our hearts, we begin to have a misplaced spiritual identity. And so these people, you might be one of them this morning. They get up in the morning and they just start rowing. And friends, they row all day long. And the way that manifests itself in their spiritual life is that it becomes all about what sort of progress I am making. If I have reached my goals, if I have reached my destination, am I doing all the things I should be doing? There was a group of rowers in Jesus' day, and you know what they were called? Pharisees. They memorized, they fasted, they prayed, they rode all day long, and they rode so hard it was choking the love, choking the love right out of them because the problem with rowing is this. If the rowing is going well, it can leave us with this sense of self-importance, right? Well, look what I'm doing. <laughs> I did it. Here I am. Look what I did. I'm just, I'm getting it done. And it can become kind of this game of self-importance. But what if things aren't going well? What if the rowing isn't working? What if we need to stop rowing? What would people think? And it can plant the seed of arrogance and pride in our hearts that it all depends on us. And we start to question, do I even have what it takes? We might feel like we can't keep up or we can't do anything right. My guess is this morning in a room of this many people that there are some rowers in this room. And you have been rowing for a long time. And you've been going at it hard. You've been checking things off your list. You are getting life done and you are just so tired. And my word to you this morning is that if you are rowing your way to holiness, can I just help you out this morning and let you know that it doesn't work very well? And speaking as a fellow rower, let me also just say to you that you have to be a bit rebellious in nature to step back from the rowing and to focus on Jesus. Because the, here's the thing. Everything in our culture applauds our rowing. We praise rowers and say, good job. We lift up the rowers. 
And so the call to Christian commitment and the call to following Jesus and a life-transforming relationship with Jesus means it's going to look different than the way our culture looks because you can rest in his grace. Amen? Here's a second image. Another parable of discipleship that gives another perspective. Ever been in one of these? What is it? A lazy river. Who doesn't love a lazy river? I mean, come on. I get in vacation and I just plop in the tube and I just start to float. The only thing that kind of weirds me out is sometimes you hit those warm spots. (laughs) Anybody? (laughs) Yeah. And you kind of wonder what what just happened there. (laughs) Lazy rivers are great because you just get in your tube and you just get comfortable and you just float. You don't have to do much of anything, and the current just takes you. And so we'll call this the parable of the lazy river floater. And the way that we talk about this spiritually is that there isn't much I can do, right? It's all up to God anyway. I'll just see where this ride takes me, and I am just going to enjoy the adventure. And so we just drift, and we just allow the current to take us. Romans 7:18 says, And I know that nothing good lives in me. It's my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I don't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. Like, do you sense the powerlessness of this? (laughs) I'll just throw up my hands in the air and let the chips fall where they may. And in our spiritual lives, we can get into these modes where we just kind of become drifters. We might tell ourselves it doesn't matter because really it's not up to us. It's all about God anyway, that nothing we is, are going to do is going to change anything. And this kind of thinking in our spiritual formation can lead us to a bunch of unhealthy places, and maybe you can guess a few. I mean, think about this for just a moment. You're in a lazy river, and you're following the current, and it's easy to forget something really important, right? That you are going somewhere. I mean, forget that maybe it's just in a circle. But you are going somewhere. Something is moving you. And sometimes we forget that whether we like it or not, not doing anything is actually doing something. It's opening us up to anything. If we don't choose a direction, if we don't put our effort towards something, then anything goes, right? The current goes this direction and we float that way or the current changes in another direction and off we go and we forget, friends, that something is impacting us. Something is forming our hearts. Something is shaping us and we're just passive in it. And I hear people getting to this dangerous place where they recognize that they're not where they want to be in life. And so instead of owning that, they start blaming all the other things. Well, if I wasn't so busy, I could have made that decision better. If my boss weren't so unhealthy, if I just got fed at church, If you're just drifting, friends, if you don't think you play any part in this whole deal, you're not spiritually growing, you're spiritually coasting. Maybe you've been drifting for a long time. You just kind of walk in and you just sit and you just go through the motions and you know there's something more. But you just feel like you're on autopilot. 
Maybe you see where you want to be, the life you want to be living, but you have no idea how to get there. Having spent some time floating, here's what I know. It's boring. It's boring. You can't float in a lazy river for too long without falling asleep or just realizing those people screaming down the water slides are just having a lot more fun, right? And honestly, that's the kind of life that God designed for us. A life of abundance. In John 10.10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. God wants you to experience all of life, life to the full. And while floating doesn't require much of us, it doesn't give anything to us either. And so the question that floaters need to ask is this. What physical, spiritual, emotional, or relational barriers are holding me back from experiencing the fullness of life that God has for me? What's holding me back from experiencing the fullness of life that God has for me? There's a last image that I want to show you. And I think, um, friends, this image invites us into a new way of thinking about our spiritual relationship with Jesus. This image invites us into a new way of thinking about our spiritual life, a life-transforming walk with Jesus. And when we talk about being a people that follow God from here to there, from where we are, where God wants us to be, this image invites us into the how. How does that happen? But let me also say that this image and what it represents, sometimes there's some pushback. Sometimes people have said, this requires too much. Some have said it's too unpredictable or it takes too much risk. Others have said, it is just too much work. Here's the image this morning. What is it? Windsurfer. In order to illustrate this for just a minute, I want to briefly look at really one verse from John 3. And this is the story of Nicodemus. And in this story, you'll remember, Nicodemus is a religious leader. Um, He comes to Jesus at night and is trying to figure out, what does this mean to be born again? And he's wrestling with this idea. And later in this passage, you'll remember that epic verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we taught on this passage just a few weeks ago, um, but I didn't really have a chance to dive into this verse. I'm so glad to bring it back up before you again. But there's one verse in here, and it, go, it says this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, in this verse, there is one word that's a really important word, and it's found in a lot of places in Scripture, but in this verse, it's a little different. And the word is pneuma. The word is pneuma. It's a Greek word. Can we just say that together? Pneuma. Pneuma. Pneuma is a word that describes wind in many places in Scripture, but in this passage, it also means spirit. 
It also means spirit. So when it says the wind blows wherever it pleases, think the spirit. The spirit blows wherever it pleases. Where does it come from? It's unpredictable. It leaves an impact, right? The wind is uncontrollable. And Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in this moment what a life of faith really looks like. Because it's not what he's been doing. And he says, the spirit blows, the wind blows wherever it pleases. Friends, it's really clear to the windsurfer that they can't make themselves go anywhere. It's really clear to the windsurfer that if they're going to get anywhere, it's going to be because of the wind. And so when it's a windy day or when you get your sail positioned in the right spot and you experience that gliding across the waves, it feels like a gift because in so many ways, the wind, it's outside of your control. However, this isn't a passive sport either. The windsurfer doesn't just get out on the water and wait for the wind to show up. They need to be active in figuring out, okay, where does my sail need to be? They need to be aware of which way the wind is blowing and shifting. They need to have enough balance to stay on the board and to stay upright. And they need to have attention for what is to come. And here's the things, friend, these things can fly. You get out there on a good day and you've had a lot of practice. You can just fly across those waves, not because I've experienced it, but because I've seen them from my lounge chair on the beach, right? But here's the other really cool thing. With practice, friends, and with experience, you can get really good at catching the wind. You can get really aware of reading the waves and predicting what's coming so that you can be in the right place at the right time. And Jesus says, that is how this relationship works. That's how we partner together. That's how you change and grow and live a life of following me. So friends this morning, if you have acknowledged the gift of Jesus in your life, if you are living a life of following him, the question becomes, are you rowing? Are you on a lazy river? Or are you windsurfing? Reading the waves, keeping your balance, shifting your sails. Are you putting yourselves in places where you can catch the wind? Because the deal is that no one becomes a windsurfer by accident. They make that choice that this is what they're going to do, that this is their adventure, and it is ours as well, but we need to choose it. We need to study it. We need to be around others who are also scanning the water and looking for the movement. Just to wrap it up this morning, I think that this is a great metaphor for spiritual life, but I don't want to get trapped in it. Because the truth is that our ability to live out these life-transforming walks with Jesus, powered by the Spirit of God, it actually matters. It actually matters. It actually makes a difference. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. 
Um, This week, I was paying attention to some of the mission statements of various companies that get a lot of my business. So I just want to read you a couple of mission statements and just think about what companies these might be. I'm sure they probably get your business as well. And so the first one is this, to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. And I heard someone say it. Good job. Second one is this, the preferred shopping destination in all channels by delivering outstanding value, continuous innovation, and exceptional guest experiences by consistently filling, fulfilling our experience more, pay less brand promise. Come on, Twin Cities people. Target, good job. Target, get a lot of our money. And the last one is this. This one's a little bit tricky. Our vision is to create a better everyday life for many people. Walmart, no. Walmart, no. What was that? No? Okay. Um, Ikea. A better everyday life for many people. Not all people, just many. (laughs) Like that. Friends, what if there was an organization that's mission wasn't just to make better products, faster tech, happier customers? What if there was an organization that was fully committed to restoring marriages, saving families, and reconciling relationships? What if there was an organization that wanted to eliminate poverty, violence, and injustice altogether? What if there was an organization whose vision statement simply said this, all things new? Friends, that organization is the church. And it's honestly the biggest, most involved, most important mission statement ever created. And it is made possible not through a bunch of rowers, not through a group of people sitting on a lazy river, but when we're empowered by the Spirit of God at work in each and every one of us who calls Jesus Lord. And that is good news for us this morning. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you say that when the word goes out, it does not return void. And so, Father, we pray as we think about our relationship with you, that this is not just an individual experience, but it's a corporate movement, a corporate movement of a group of people committed to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray as we think about all that's ahead, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you because you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Nothing that we can do Nothing that we choose not to do can impact that. It is your grace. It is your goodness at work in our lives and in this church. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you have questions about next steps you can take in your life to be a windsurfer, as crazy as that sounds, friends. If you're looking for new ways to follow after Jesus, maybe it's a season where you're just checking things off the list 
or maybe it's just a season of dryness and you don't know what step to take. There is nothing more exciting as a pastor than seeing Jesus Christ get a hold of someone's heart and seek after him in a way that's authentic and whole and passionate. And we would love to see that happen. So we'd love to talk with you more about that. Let me read this, the end of this prayer to us as we go. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen.